0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of 25 Stories That Made MLS. We are your hosts. I'm Nital Raman. And I'm Tool Raman. And uh, we're back on schedule. It is a brand new year, new decade for us and for all of us, really. But um, yeah, let's get back to the storytelling. Yeah. So,
1: what do we have today? So, I think the last time uh, we left you guys, uh, we were talking about how the league was sort of saved at uncle phil's ranch i mean the league is down to three owners only um and they made a decision to cut it down to 10 teams chronologically you
0: mean chronologically read, yeah. like, the latest thing that happened in our overall timeline yeah it in the overall time uncle, yeah uncle phil's ranch
1: yeah i know we've had a few episodes since then sure. but like from the overall timeline and so eventually, obviously, fast forward to today, um, we have 26 teams coming, mm-hmm. 26 different owners. We, have, we will have 30 different teams with 30 different owners. And so eventually, you need to get new owners to get expansion started. So this is the first of that, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we're going to talk about the next three owners that come in in the league. And they all come around the same exact time. Which would be When? Uh, two thousand three. Oh, we're in the two thousands.
0: Yeah, two thousand three, two
1: thousand three, two thousand four. Um, good year, good year, man. All right, so the first one is a guy named Stan Cronky. No, I do that is okay. Good. Um, unlike uh, some of our other owners, uh, we have a. I mean. Th- the original MLS owners, a lot of them were oil tycoons. Right, right, right. Or, yeah,
0: sons of sons of, of oil tycoons. Yeah. Inherited wealth. Inherited um, wealth.
1: Stan Kroenke comes from Missouri, um, and he's like pretty middle class. His dad, I think, works a lumberyard, um, and uh, he actually went through college by paying paying it by selling his own company that he started that was mm-hmm. selling clothing. Um, so he's sort of a self started guy. Um, And uh, he eventually uh, gets into real estate. Okay. Right. And so uh, specifically developing out strip malls. It's a very lucrative business. That's how he kind of makes his money. He's pretty well off. um, But he's not like sports tycoon rich yet until he goes on a skiing trip in Aspen, Colorado. As one does. As one does when you have a little bit of money. Um, And he meets a girl. That girl just happens to be a woman named Anne Walton. Do you know Anne Walton? Nope. So Walton is
0: the Walmart family. Oh. Have you heard of Walmart? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Man, is that where we got our TV from? Yeah. Yeah, Walmart. Okay. So uh, he just happens to meet, meet her. I mean, I don't, who knows, who what, knows the, what the actual story who is. Who knows what the full story but, is.
1: But he marries into the Walmart family, right? And okay. now he has real money. Okay. Um... And Good for you, guy. Yeah, <laughs> and he uh, he starts expanding his business. Um, he specifically he's like strip mall development and real estate. So whenever a Walmart is being opened, normally that Walmart, much like a stadium, uh, has some like tax implications. Usually some tax breaks by because it's such a big thing that you're putting into a community. Um, and usually they it comes with development outside of it. So mm-hmm. he just basically started developing with Walmarts, you know, and then started making more and more money. Uh, And eventually he wants to expand out to um, sports. So he starts uh, his company, Cronky Sports and Entertainment, KSE for short, and he starts getting into the sports game. Um, The first thing he does, I think he buys a stake in the St. Louis Rams, which makes sense because he's from Missouri. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he gets into Colorado sports teams. Right. Right. And he uh buys the Denver Nuggets basketball. Yep. The Colorado Avalanche hockey. But right about the Rapids? And then um, and uh and part of that is owning the Pepsi Center, which is a stadium mm-hmm. in Denver, right? Land. He also I think buys Altitude TV, which is the media that shows all the sports there. And, uh, who else owns a team in, uh, Colorado? It's, uh, Phil Ashut. Yep. Yeah. Cause he owns the Colorado Rapids at the time. So one billionaire to another makes a call is like, Hey guy, I also have a team that you might be interested in Colorado Rapids. Cool. Right. And so, um, and so like, I'm sure they, ch- they exchanged kind of the new vision of the league, which is built around building a stadium, owning the real estate around that. Right. Shared, um, and now
0: this is after the ranch discussion. This so, is after the like, Don Garber's involved. Yeah, right. They're heading in a new direction. This is a
1: new vision. Yep. new stadiums. Um, Soccer United marketing is in place. Mm-hmm. New ownership means you're More not incentives. just incentives. Bu- you're yeah. not just buying a team, but you're buying into the MLS and Soccer United marketing altogether. Um, and so he he buys Colorado Rapids off of Phil Anschutz. Um, and that is done in 2003, and with that, he obviously also gets the part of Soccer United Marketing, part of Major League Soccer, and immediately um, says that they will be making a new stadium, um, and that new stadium is going to be in a suburb of Denver in Commerce City, which ends up being Dick's Sporting Goods Park, yep. um, and that is roughly a $130 million complex, which is not just a stadium, but youth soccer fields, Retail
0: space. Yeah, right? I remember. I remember seeing those architectural plans. Yeah, when I first like introduced it on the web, and I was like, "That oh, wow!" Yeah, it's a nice facility. Exactly,
1: and um and so, and that cost is split fifty fifty with KSE and mm-hmm. Commerce City as, as the city itself. Um, and so around two thousand three, two thousand four, the Rapids find themselves with a new owner and also a future new home, which will be there, I think, in 2006 or 2007. Right. Right? Um, and this is uh, before big rebrand. Before the big rebrand, right? Yeah. And so, like, you're starting to see a lot of threads here, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, a guy who has a f- pretty similar kind of um, level of wealth as some of the other MLS owners, who has real estate background has bought into the vision, Mm -hmm. has immediately then started the stadium, but with the stadium comes with real estate space, um, and also fits in with his owning literally every Colorado team in the state outside of uh, the Broncos, right? Yeah. So that's that's the first one. Um, The second one is Jorge Vergara. Do you know that name? Sounds familiar. Jorge Vergara... like Stan Kroenke, not coming from a huge amount of wealth, he starts off kind of selling anything from tacos to timeshares, um, and he eventually gets. From, that's just a great title for a book. From tacos <laughs> to timeshares. I mean, it's literally on his Wikipedia page. Yeah. Like tacos to timeshares, um, and he eventually uh, starts selling Herbalife. Do you know Herbalife?
0: Yeah, that was a uh, they sponsored. There was sure. sponsorship. On the shirts of LA Galaxy for a while, right. And then their product is like health, yeah, like uh, health, vi- vitamins, vitamin drinks, and exactly. Stuff. Workout things, I presume.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a multi layered marketing model. Do you know what that means? No
0: idea, but you're a marketing guy, so yeah. That
1: so most most so I'm in marketing, uh, when you buy a product, most of the time you're buying it from a retailer. Mm-hmm. So you go to Walmart, you buy it. right? And that Walmart bought it from the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. That's the company, right? Um, and that's that's basically the chain. Here in a multi-layer marketing thing, um, the company makes the products, Herbalife makes the product. They sell it to you as a person, okay. your individual person, and then you sell it to other people who then sell it to the end consumer. That almost okay. sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> I mean, listen, if you draw it out,
0: it looks like a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, it's like, yeah, get this from us. <laughs> Call up some of your buds, some of your friends, maybe your family. Yeah, that's exactly... Do a demonstration. It. I'm telling you, this is what Herbalife is. <laughs> Say what's up to our good friends who sell the knives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Mary Kay. Yeah. like That's nuts. Yeah, so, so, so... Okay, so that's that's the multi-level... Yeah, market, so okay. that
1: he starts... Uh, he finds it in the U S he brings it over to Mexico and then he's like, this is such a model. I want to start my own. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. He starts his own, basically what our herbalife is. He calls it Omni group and it works. I mean, it starts off with a few thousand dollars and a few people and he grows it to a multi-billion dollar multinational company. Right? Um, and he starts, you know, like people do when they get a lot of money, they want to start expanding their things to different things, not just what they do as their core business. Um, and the, before he gets into sports, he actually goes into entertainment. And he starts getting into movies and producing movies. Oh, do you know any offhand? Yeah. Uh a good one, actually. "Itu Mama Tambien was produced by Jorge Vergara.
0: I, I don't know. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah.
1: You don't know the movie? I don't. Oh, my God. It's I like don't. A, It's a classic. I saw
0: how excited you were to say that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I trust a, your judgment. It's a classic movie. Okay. It's a really, really you will love that movie. Yeah. Um, uh, we're so, in an age if it's like if it's not on Netflix I'm not watching it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. true. that's true
1: um, so he starts doing movies and then he's like I- I'm getting into sports uh-huh. so he buys in 2000 early 2000s he buys uh, uh, the club in Guadalajara CD Guadalajara better known as Chivas yes for 80 million dollars which is not that that's right. it? yeah wow it's by far the most uh, famous and most followed club in, in Mexico Right, a lot of history. A lot of history. It's most famous for being a club that only plays Mexicans, mm-hmm. right? So unlike every other club where they're like MLS teams, majority of the players are Mexicans because that's where the Petanque pool is. But they will more than happy to, you know, get wherever top players are. Right. But Guadalajara or Chivas, um, basically, is uh, only plays Mexicans. So there's a lot of like Mexican pride with that club. Sure. So, he buys it because, like, uh, the the past owners were going to financial trouble. They didn't have that much wealth. So, he offers $80 million. They take it. He buys it. And he, being a person who, you know, has started a brand in a multi-layer kind of marketing model, um, he uh, thinks of it as a brand because it's so loved, right? Yeah. And so, he sees the value of it, not just, like, in terms of doing well in the soccer field. He sees the value of it as like creating a brand and licensing the name Chivas to literally anything. Oh no! I'm talking. Some... Samples. I'm talking Chivas toothpaste. <laughs> 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 are, are you using Sensodyne? It's not good
0: enough. Also, are you sh- keeping it real, <laughs> real
1: <laughs> Mexican? Yeah. Chivas toothpaste. Like we are. Yeah. Chivas cola. Yeah. Like Coca Cola, not good enough. Get that Chivas cola. Um, so that's a, that's the value he sees, right? And he like any brand person, you know, wants to take it internationally. He's like, you know, there are there are Mexican American, there are Mexican people of Mexican heritage everywhere around the world. Most specifically, there's a lot in America. So he mm-hmm. specifically wanted to bring Chivas into America. So he right. brings it for Chivas the All
0: USA. We're going to be talking about, of course. Yeah,
1: but before he does that, he brings Chivas as the MLS All Star opponent in I think 2003. Right. Right. So like. Um, you know uh, from 2003 onwards like every year MLS All-Stars play like play a foreign team that's usually mm-hmm. pretty famous the first one that was in that model was against Chivas Guadalajara and during the press conference he he was talking about how he believed the brand could extend to America how he believed in that LA could support a second soccer team um, and he believed in kind of the notion of Major League Soccer uh, and he wasted literally no time. In 2004, he paid $10 million for an expansion fee, mm-hmm. which, again, allowed him the rights to um, operate a second team in L.A. and part of Soccer United Marketing and part of Major League Soccer. And he starts Chibas USA. Right. Yeah. And so Chibas... And we all know the
0: fate of that club.
1: Yeah. We'll get there. Not, not great. Um, but, again, remember, uh, most people, like Kroenke... He focused on uh, opening a new stadium immediately. Chivas USA played in the same stadium as Galaxy. They didn't have to worry about the stadium. Um, They didn't have to worry about, you know, doing all any of the land stuff. The downside is, like, you don't get that revenue. You don't get that control of the revenue space. You don't get to control the land. Like, Galaxy owned that. You're paying rent to to the Galaxy for that space. Um, But the value he was looking at was extending the brand of Chivas. Right. Right. So that means you have to have the ethos of what Guadalajara stood for in Major League Soccer, which means it has to somehow be a Mexican American Right. So
0: did he? Did club. he have? Was his original vision to kind of only field Mexican players? Which is impossible because right. you have
1: a level, a limit of how many international players you can Cause play. Because the,
0: the three, three players that I remember watching and caring about is probably Ante Razov, Sasha Klaushen. Yeah, and those are not three Mexican exactly. players. So,
1: <laughs> but in in year one, um, in year one, like they brought in some really older but famous um, Mexican players, like Francisco Palencia, hmm. um, and, uh, and and and. I believe the in the original kind of uh, two thousand five roster, yeah, there was only three players that didn't have some sort of Latin heritage. So right. Brad Guzan was one. Um, the second one was Matt Taylor, uh, and the third one I think was Ezra Hendrickson. Right. So they tried their best, like inaugural it, season. Yeah, they just,
0: they tried their best to make it at least mostly Latin,
1: Latin, Latin based. Right. They're like, look, we have Mexican stars. We'll get Mexican-Americans, mm-hmm. and then we'll try to make a Latin base, and then we'll fill the rest with anyone else, right? Right. Um, we'll get there at the end, but, like, yeah, that, that strategy does not work well
0: on the field. I mean, is it, is it a case of, like, too soon? Because it doesn't seem like that terrible idea if you were to do something like that now-ish.
1: Yeah, so, um, I was going to say but to the end, but let's talk about it, um... Is it too soon? So the idea of extending your brand mm-hmm. to um, to Major League Soccer has been replicated. NYCFC right. is an extension of a brand of yeah. some sorts of right. Manchester Man City. City. Um, New- Red Bull New York is an extension of Rebel Leipzig, Leipzig and Red Bull yeah. um, Salzburg. Salzburg. Right. And those two work fine. Right. But the problem is that Chivas' brand is built on this identity of being Mexican. Right. And what you saw is, even though when the team was better, mm-hmm. the attendance went down because it was less like Chivas.
0: Right. Do you know what I mean? So now you're competing against yourself. A little anyway, bit. Right? A
1: little bit. And yeah. in, in rules that are really hard. It's hard enough for Chivas, honestly, to do what they do um, in Liga and Mickeys, right? Because... Yeah. Um, Right now, if you're listening to this, um, in the year 2020, they just signed Uriel Antuna. You know Uriel Antuna? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. From LAFC? LA Galaxy. Oh, Galaxy. My mistake. Yeah. LA Galaxy, but he was on loan. He was on loan. Um... From which club was it? Man, Man City. City. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Orlando Antuna, I would say, if
1: you ask a Galaxy fan, good player, but not. He's like, like probably,
0: fringe Mexican national. Yeah, I would say he's probably Gold Cup roster sixth
1: the best player on LA Galaxy mm-hmm. last year. Um, I think they would have liked to keep him, but they weren't going to pay a lot of money for it. Um, but since he's a fringe Mexican national team player, and the pool of
0: Chivas, and he's young,
1: we got to say he's young. He's young. He's right? like twenty-two. Um, and the pool for Chivas is, like, only Mexican players. Mm-hmm. Chivas will pay a lot of money for that. They paid $11 million for and him. And that's
0: highly inflated.
1: I mean, like, I would say his value is maybe one or two, you know, like, it, for a regular club. But mm-hmm. for Chivas, they have to pay that much more for it. Because they order... have a
0: very limited pool to pick from in the first place. And that's
1: their brand, though. That's where yeah. the value of the brand is. I mean, there's another club like that, um, if Victoria Badiola is listening, it's her club, Athletic Bilbao. Yep right they only play Basque players. Only way you can do that is if you grow your own players within that region mm-hmm. and then you spend all your money on finding anyone that fits that profile when they're available for transfer and you are probably overpaying right. because like that's the only person you can get.
0: Yeah. Right? And right? other clubs are going to know that around yeah. the world they can they can make a pretty penny off of it. Yeah. And so that was kind of the a higher de- demand. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone knows. Yeah, right. Everyone knows.
1: Liga Amecki's clubs, when they sell players to Chivas, they demand more money because they know. Yeah. Like, you need this player. I can yeah. replace this player with a, someone from Uruguay. From anywhere. Yeah. I can, or from France. Like, yeah. But, like, you can only get this player. And so that model is hard enough in Liga MX, where there's less restrictions, and it's in Mexico. In the U.S., that's not like right. impossible. Right. And so once you move away from that and try to make it work on the field, then, like, why are you called Chivas? Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, the downward spiral of why it didn't work, right? Um, So what happens uh, after that? So what happens after that is, you know, originally the attendance is pretty good, but the field product is bad. Bob Bradley joins them. Mm -hmm. Um, He gets really good players. gets Sasha Kleschen, Ante Razov, as you said. Mm -hmm. They make the playoffs. They're decent, but attendance is declining. And eventually it gets down to... um, Uh, I think around 2013, um, Major League Soccer is like, well, we're just going to buy this team back from you. Like Vergara, like we're going to buy it back from you. And in 2014 or 15, it gets uh, they contract the team. They're like right. the team's not working because at that point they were getting
0: like eight thousand, seven thousand a game, which in is the same stadium where the Galaxy's playing. Right, and, and at a time where the Galaxy's kind of killing it, I think. Yeah, right? they're totally killing yeah. it. Yeah, that's like the that's peak the Beckham years. Peak Beckham and Donovan and
1: yeah, Keen so it's years really like... not working. Right. And like um, and so uh, the the league bought the team back. They contracted the team. They eventually sell that um, that item back to uh, the. Owners of now LAFC, Mm -hmm. um, which has done really really well. So, but even in that failure, so Vergara bought that team for ten million. Right. MLS bought it back from him, a failed team that they were going to contract for seventy five million. So in in the complete failure, he still made seven point five times more than what he paid for. Wow. Which is the power of like sports franchises and model that works, right? If you make the calculation, there's a 22% annual return on investment. That's crazy. That's insane. Um, so that's Vergara, right? Vergara and Chivas. Um, but it starts in 2003. Uh, and, and when he brings the team from Mexico to play a MLS All-Star game, he pays $10 million in 2004. The team starts playing, playing in 2005. In that same time period is our third person. Our third person is a guy named Dave Chekets. Still no. Okay. Still a big no. So Dave Chekis comes from Utah. Um, He is like a lot of really uh, well-known business people or politicians or the general elite of society. Starts off in consultant um, as a consultant for Bain. Um, And then he quickly, I've tried to read up on this and how this happened, but he becomes the GM of the Utah Jazz at age 27.
0: He's got to be somebody's son, right? That's, what <laughs> I, you, that's your first thought. At 27? I, I oh, don't wait, know. what year was this? Uh, this is like 83, 84. Is that... um? Uh, that's before. That's before like John Stockton and...
1: No, he... So, all right. So he's the... Karl Malone. He is the uh, GM for two years. GM and president. And in his two years, he drafts John Stockton and Karl Malone. <laughs> Which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, he then goes to do exactly what Garber did for the NFL, which is run mm-hmm. but for the NBA, NBA International, trying to make basketball grow in Europe. Then he comes back and he runs the Knicks and Madison Square Garden. So the Knicks, and this is during the Knicks peak time, like in his, in his uh, tenure, like this is like when... Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing, John Starks, making the finals, losing to the Bulls a lot. Um, also... Uh, like really high TV ratings. Like this is like the peak Nick Knicks era. Yeah. Um. This is a little bit of sidebar. I was reading an article where they announced Checkets to lead the Knicks in 1991. Yeah. And even they were like, this is new whiz kid who's 35, and they talked about the Knicks saying how like they're the Chicago Cubs of of the NBA because in what
0: it, way that they're cursed or something?
1: Yeah, and that like they. At that point, they were uh, one of the original teams. They've been around for 44 years, and they've only won two championships. And they were like, maybe this kid can, this uh, its guy can turn things around and win a lot of the championships. Fast forward 30 years later, the Knicks still haven't won anything. Yeah. I was reading the article. I was like, man, if they only knew what was going to happen to them. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. But Its during his time period, is like um, he oversees the best period on the Knicks in in my lifetime at least, right? Yeah. and so he's pretty successful wherever he goes. And he eventually, I think... And he's running Madison Square Garden, which is like the general uh, sports arena. Iconic.
0: Itself. Iconic place.
1: Yeah. And includes the Rangers. So he's like overlooking multiple sports and multiple teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually he wants to, uh, I think, be his own boss. So he uh, starts his own consulting company for sports teams um, and uh, starts, I think, buying some media, sports media companies and then eventually he's like, he gets a little bit of itch of getting back into sports and like running a team itself. Uh, and his in his time in Europe, obviously with NBA, he got familiar with soccer. Yeah. And so he saw an opportunity to actually bring Major League Soccer to Salt Lake. Um, and so he paid a $10 million franchise fee in the same year that Vergara did for Cheapest USA and started Real Salt Lake, um, yeah. which again is a, not a natural place to have your 12th team, I think, Salt Lake City. I wouldn't think so. yeah, but uh, I but, mean
0: uh, great club. Really. yeah.
1: And so he does the same thing that Kroenke does, which is he buys the vision of you know opening a stadium. He has experience again with stadium ownership and he focuses the first three or four years on really opening a stadium. And we won't go into details. I mean, you remember a conversation on Columbus and basically how yeah. the stadium like failed three or four votes. Yeah, for sure. And it came really close to failing, and then it was like a last-second thing. Where the
0: Buckeyes played at one point, point. yes yeah. down the wire.
1: Yeah, so uh, they had the same experience in with RSL. Like, I mean, the, if failed three or four votes, the governor had to be involved. I think its multiple times, you know, was saying, I'm going to move this team to another city because I can't get a stadium mm-hmm. open. Uh, but eventually the deal got done, and they opened up the stadium in uh, Sandy, Utah, which is where... Um, a Rio Tinto Stadium is, right? Yeah. Um, and ever since that stadium has been open, it's like 19, 20,000, you know, uh, RSL always doing well in getting um, people out to support and watch it. And during his tenure, um, Dave Checkitz actually uh, does the one thing that he couldn't do when he was leading the Utah Jazz or the New York Knicks. He won a championship. Right? Yeah. So 2009 MLS Cup they came really really close to winning CCL. Yeah, the team was good. The team was real good. The team was really good. Led I was Christ. in college at the
0: time watching that CCL yeah. game and being pretty upset about the result.
1: Yeah. And so because they they had
0: chances to win. They had, they had they a had lot of chances. chances to win.
1: Yeah. Um Beckerman in his prime. Yeah, prime Beckerman. Yep. Nick Romano and all of his powers. Yeah. Um but yeah, so he brings a championship, he brings us um, a stadium and uh, his, his consulting firm that technically owns it also bought the St. Louis Blues during, I think, 2006. So owned multiple sports franchises. Um, and in 2012, he sold the stadium to another local um, owner, Delroy Hansen, who's now the current owner of RSL. Um, but Chekis is definitely the person who got the team there, got the stadium in place, made it successful, made made the business model work, and then and moved it forward. Um, and so that's how sort of RSL started. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Never then, would have thought that. And then so uh, let's go back to Kronke mm-hmm. and say, like, what happened after he owned Colorado Rapids. That one's kind of a mixed bag. So Vargara, Chibas USA failed. it's um, Real Salt Lake, very successful. Eventually sold it to another business, guy who's local, who now owns the club. Kronky, unlike the other two, is still an MLS, still an owner. Um, after the stadium opened, I would say it increased attendance from like 12,000 to 14,000, mm-hmm. but it's more or less still around 14,000. Right. Um, I think there's some rumor mills. Maybe there's a new stadium. I'm trying to get the team back into downtown Denver, which might change up things. Um, but it, he's actually probably most famous now in the world, not for any of the clubs that we talked about before. So not for the Nuggets, not for the Avalanche. But he bought Arsenal. Wow. Yeah, yeah. How much did that cost him? Uh, good question, because uh, it was very public. He ended up doing, like, I think a, a aggressive takeover of Arsenal. Um, and if you ask Arsenal fans, I don't think they think that he's the best owner because he also bought the St. Louis Rams. Mm-hmm. And he moved the St. Yeah. St. Louis Rams to LA. L.A. Yep. And now he's spending a lot of money to open the L.A. Stadium. Yeah. A lot of money. And so I think if you ask some of the fans of the other
0: teams, they would say
1: that Cronki
0: Yeah, your first question is going to be like, how are you allocating your money and which club is more important to you?
1: And that I would say that the money allocation is clearly going towards LA and the new NFL stadium. And
0: the Rams have done well
1: since that. Move. Yeah. Yeah. And... and I would say Arsenal's like running as like you can't really overinvest there, mm-hmm. and so there's some feelings of that also within within Colorado Rapids. Um, although we'll see if there's a turnaround in order. They did also win MLS Cup in 2010. It's true, right? And so that, they do have some that's success.
0: So painful. Yeah, I remember that because it was a it was a former Red Bull player that I think scored the winning goal. Right?
1: Yep. Yep. It was a, it was a tough look for, for rooting for a club that has never won MLS Cup. It was tough luck to see Colorado Rapids win it in yeah. 2010. Um, so that's sort of kind of the next three owners that came in. The big
0: ones, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, obviously there's a lot more owners that come in, but, um, some themes to take away from this. One, all three owners bought into the vision of like what the league was going to be, which was laid out in Uncle Phil's book. But ranch.
0: had their own way of doing it.
1: Each one had their own way of doing it. Um, And I think you can see connections of how other clubs looked at it, right? Yeah. Um, And saying, all right, do we want to replicate this or do you want something a little bit different? Um, All three saw the MLS kind of franchise as part of their sports portfolio, Mm -hmm. right? So every single owner also owned multiple teams. Whether it's Vergara, who said, uh, I want to mimic the exact team that I have here and make it here, or... Cronky, who looked at it as like, I just need another Colorado team um, to make full Colorado domination, I guess. Um, or Chequets, who was like, I want to make a portfolio. One is the St. Louis Blues, one is RSL. Um, and so it kind of set up, like, it kind of gave a marker in saying, this business model works, Yeah. right? We've had three now successful business people come in and also invest in it. And basically, if you're now an investor thinking, is the league going to survive or not? It's showing you that it will. Yeah, in
0: the long run, for sure.
1: And so to me, around this time, 2005, 2006, is probably the end of MLS 1.0. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, and so the early years, obviously the first few years, we call it beta years. You're like, I'm not really sure what's working, what's not working. We have really weird rules. We're trying to play what works. Mm -hmm. Garber comes in, sets a new vision, and I think that plays out fully up until the new owners come in and that's right 1. you can 0. still
0: see that trend today yeah you know like the the mindset is when you get that expansion club first thing I mean it's the first question I ask yeah when I see an expansion team being awarded to a city yeah where are you gonna play yeah where are you playing what's the, what's the stadium you yeah know, what's that looking like um so yeah I definitely say that's a pivotal moment.
1: Yep. And so that's the story of how um, new owners entered the fray and expansion
0: started up again. All right. Well, I only have one question. Let's hear it. Um, who's the family behind uh, Kmart? <laughs> I don't know. Do they have a daughter? Can I run into her? <laughs> <Unless> <laughs> As always, have. let's just read some sources and rock it from
1: there. Yep. Um, from Owner to Quietest Sports Emperor by uh, Jerry Longman for the New York Times. Uh, Mexico Shivas to Play MLS All-Stars by Graham Jones for the LA Times. Two Decades of MLS by Sports Business Daily. Um, and how... Real Salt Lake went from Dave Chekas to Delroy Hansen um, by the RSL Soapbox. All links of that will be on the episode details.
0: Definitely check that out if you can. And yes, I said Kmart intentionally because Walmart girl is taken.
1: <laughs> As always, follow us on Twitter at 25 underscore stories
0: and uh rate and review us and tell your friends yeah and uh check over your resolutions list and stay vigilant everyone (laughs) all right have a good one bye